right. Well, here in episode seven, we now turn the page from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, now to the second book, Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we're going to begin by focusing on Exodus chapters one through 14. And we're going to look at Moses in the plagues. My wife and I started watching the Blacklist uh, TV series several months ago. My parents had started watching it. In fact, they're caught up on it, I believe. But we started watching it because I said, man, it is a really good show. Y'all will like it. Keeps you on the edge of your seat. Keeps you guessing. And sure enough, it does. It's a great show. It's full of breathless moments and suspenseful plot turns. But we had to take a break from it. And we've taken a, a pretty long sabbatical from watching the uh, the series Blacklist. Not uh, not because of uh, anything personal, except for just the simple fact that it was hard to go to sleep after watching it. Your mom was racing. You didn't like how that episode ended, and you're like, "How how how are they going to tie that together?" Or I didn't see that coming, or what? And so we just had to take a break uh, because it was. It was hard to go to sleep after watching an episode of it. I couldn't turn your you couldn't turn your emotions off. I couldn't couldn't turn my emotions off. Couldn't turn my mind off. I was just I, I'm I I like to try to put things together and try to think, man, what comes next? Why did the character act like that? But anyways, and we turned our attention to a more lighthearted sitcom to where we could fall asleep a whole lot easier because our minds were turned off and wasn't so. So tense for being on the edge of our seat for the past 45 minutes. But in one of the episodes before we took this break from watching Blacklist, the main person or the main character, Raymond Reddington, the show begins, the episode begins with him coming to in the back of a Jeep with a lot of commotion. The Jeep's going really fast. And to make it make it worse or more suspenseful or put you on the edge of the seat, you begin to realize as the camera fades and moves in different angles and places that he's been kidnapped by boy soldiers. And these boy soldiers are exchanging gunfire with the soldiers that are pursuing them in a Humvee. Until finally, the boys get the better of their adult counterparts and they pull out a rocket launcher and blow up the Humvee and thus end the chase and the soldiers who are chasing them. After the chasing ends, the camera fades, and the next thing that we see are the soldiers walking a handcuffed Reddington to this jungle dictator who is sitting on a recliner on this jungle-surrounded beach. The Yabari is this dictator's name, and Reddington is sat before him and is questioned by him. But in this brief conversation... Uh, Raymond quickly reveals to Yabari that it wasn't the him that found Reddington, but it was Reddington that found Yabari. He got caught by his soldiers because he wanted to be found by him. He wanted to have this conversation with him. And the reason that he wants to have this conversation with Yabari is because he felt like Yabari has some information that would be helpful in trying to figure out who the main villain of the sitcom the series is, uh, or, or well, Berlin, uh, but who Berlin has hired to hunt down Reddington to kill him. Yabari makes excuses and says, I don't know anything, when all of a sudden you see a missile strike come out of nowhere in the air. Reddington then informs Yabari that there's two more on the way, that if 
he don't help him out and give a name of the person Berlin has hired to hunt him down, there would be two more coming. After the second one, Yabari begins to stutter, and through the broken stuttering of Yabari's words, Redditing is able to put it together and figure out that it is Lord Baltimore uh, that Berlin has hired to, to kill him and hunt him down. The scene fades then with Reddington walking uh, away after the, the second missile or third missile strikes, calmly setting the money on fire and walking away. When we turn the pages uh, of our Bibles from Genesis to Exodus and first begin reading Exodus chapter 1, it may seem that is as if God's people are awakening to a scary and bleak situation like Reddington did in that episode. As a new Pharaoh arises to power, this Pharaoh is unaware of Joseph and his actions. In fact, the Pharaoh is afraid of the Israelites because of their great number. He and the nation of Egypt decided to enslave uh, Israel, these descendants of Abraham. But that wasn't enough. Uh, as they continued to grow, as they continued to multiply because of God's blessing, the Pharaoh ordered all the midwives to kill every single newborn baby boy of the Hebrews upon delivering. And while the current situation of the Hebrews experiencing slavery in Egypt might have caused many to wonder if God had forgotten his covenant promises made to Abraham all those years ago, those who knew the covenant promises well and remembered the details would have realized that God was not being unfaithful to his promises. He had not forgotten his promises. He was still active in fulfilling them because by their own slavery in Egypt, he was fulfilling part of that promise spoken to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 through 14, then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. We know that they're strangers. They arrived in Egypt, settled in the land of Goshen during the famine, the seven-year famine in Genesis because of Joseph resending his brothers back for their families and for his father. So they're in a foreign land. They're strangers in that foreign land. But here now we see another part of the word come into pass, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But then I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. Anyone who remembered the details of God's revealed plan to Abraham would have been able to have their strength renewed as they patiently waited on the Lord according to his timeline, knowing that he was faithfully working out his plans. We too can be spiritually and physically uh, recharged if we wait patiently on the Lord to work out his plans in our lives, in all of redemptive history for that matter. Even if our current circumstances are less than pleasant. As the end of the 400 years draws near, God delivers a baby boy who he will use to deliver his people from their slavery in Egypt. Exodus 2 tells us who this baby is. We see that Pharaoh's daughter rescues him. His name is Moses. He's returned to his mother who nurses him until he is weaned, and then he grows up in the household of Pharaoh. Once Moses becomes a man, he goes out to visit his people. And during this expedition, Moses sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a fellow Hebrew. And enraged, Moses rushes to the defense of his fellow Hebrew, and he kills the taskmaster. The next day when he tries to mediate between two fellow Hebrews, one sarcastically asks him who put him 
over them. And if he didn't like what he said, was he going to kill him too, just like he had killed the Egyptian taskmaster? Master. Moses knew then right away that what he had done was no secret, and word finally got to Pharaoh about Moses killing this taskmaster, and Pharaoh tried to kill Moses as well. But Moses escapes uh, the hand of Pharaoh and flees to Midian. We fast forward to 40 years later, and now Moses is shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, when all of a sudden he sees something. It's a bush that is on fire, but this, this bush that is aflame is not consumed. And so he goes over to investigate the strange sight. And while he investigates this strange sight, he encounters the living God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. From there, God lets Moses know that he's not unaware of his people's suffering. I think this is a great comfort that we can take that while we call out to God in the midst of our suffering, and though it seems as if he does not hear us or act on our timeline per our request, that our suffering is does not fly beneath his radar, that he knows and that from these verses we also see that he cares. And in his timing, in his perfect timing, at the timing in which he can receive glory and that we can receive the most good and that others can benefit as well, he will act on our behalf. We see that he is about to judge the nation of Egypt for oppressing his people. Again, coming forth with the promise spoken to Abraham back in Genesis 12, that he would punish that nation, that he would discipline them, that he would judge them for oppressing his people. In order to begin this, God informs Moses that he has chosen him to lead the people out of Israel. I think like many of us, if we're honest, Moses protests this new and revealed plan of God for his life. He asks for a sign of credibility to give to his fellow Hebrews, particularly when, when I say that the God of your fathers has sent me to you to tell about your coming deliverance, what should I tell them your name is? God graciously reveals his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 5, I mean Exodus 3, 13 through 15. God replied to Moses, I am who I say I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. God says his name is, I am who I am. The English transliteration for I am who I am is Yahweh, and it's commonly translated with Lord in all capital letters or Jehovah in our English Bibles. At its basic level, uh, Yahweh carries the idea that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is self-existent. He is the self-existing God. In other words, I am the one who is. And while these verses have inspired and produced countless commentaries, all Bible commentators can at least agree that God's name carries the idea that he exists independently of anyone or anything. 
Scholars also can agree that God's name declares his absolute uniqueness. Scripture claims that there is no one like God, no one like the God of Israel. And finally, since God is the self-existent one, time, circumstances, or experience do not change who he is. This is great. In other words, God is immutable. The doctrine of immutability means that God does not change. God is, he has been, and forever will be loving, gracious, merciful, fair, righteous, holy, and faithful. God's immutability gives us the surety, this is big, of his faithfulness in keeping his promises to Abraham and us today through his word. It's difficult to keep this post to like a readable link or this podcast to just a, uh, a link to where it captures our attention because there's so many good things that we could draw out, not only from these verses, but in the other chapters as well as we look at the plagues upon Egypt. But I'll try to keep it going and fast forward through the narrative. We come to Moses now and his brother Aaron having arrived in Egypt. And they've declared before Pharaoh God's desire and his plan for Pharaoh to let his people go. And then we see the arrogance and the ignorance of Pharaoh. Pharaoh responds by telling Moses and Aaron that he doesn't know who Yahweh is. So why would he even entertain listening to him? Pharaoh's arrogance against his creator brings us to Exodus chapter 7, verses 3-5, through where God declares this, But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn, so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I'll bring down my first my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites from the land of Egypt, with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. We see the reasoning not only to be faithful with his covenant with Abraham, but we see even in these verses, in verse 5, when, when God says, When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He was also revealing himself to Egypt, the Egyptians. He was revealing himself to Pharaoh. Remember, Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord. We've got all these gods and all these goddesses. I don't know him. And so if I don't know him, why should I listen to him? God was showing that he was number one, that he is the one and only true God. And that not only that, he was, even though he had chosen the Israelites as his people, he had chosen the Israelites to reveal himself, to be in relationship with them, but also too so that they could make him known to those around him. We see that this is just the confirmation that God is the God of all people, as he is revealing himself not only to the Israelites and his superiority over the the pantheon of Egyptian gods, but also to the Egyptians themselves. God's not only going to keep his promise to Abraham and judge the nation that oppressed his descendants, but through his judgment, he's going to reveal himself to these same oppressors. It's crazy to think, because I was unaware of this up until, especially coming through church and hearing the story as a child, and even I think maybe even through I don't know. Maybe when I was in college, maybe maybe this is the maybe it would be the first time that I but I, that I heard this, and that is with each of the plagues, God was demonstrating His superiority and the worthlessness of the Egyptian gods. 
demonstrating his superiority and the worthlessness of the Egyptians' gods and goddesses. Because each plague that he sent upon the land was an attack and a demonstration of him being supreme over any of their gods. There's a chart that you can find on the blog post for this week on our morethansundaymornings.com, and you can find that on our website at cornerstonego.com. But it breaks down with each plague, the gods or goddesses that it would have showed the Egyptians were worthless compared to Yahweh, the God of Israel. So after displaying his power and authenticity as the only divine, being through the plagues, Pharaoh calls for Moses and Aaron and says, get out. So that same night, the same night that the death angel passed and took the firstborns of everyone who did not mark the doorpost with the blood of the lamb, 6,000 men plus women and children are led out of Egypt, but not empty-handed. Exodus chapter 12, verse 36, The Lord calls the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. This verse is anything but an afterthought. This is the Holy Spirit intentionally pointing out through Moses that God kept all of his promises to Abraham concerning his descendants hundreds of years earlier. God told Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved, but that after they were released, they would not go empty-handed, but instead they would leave with great wealth at the end of their captivity. God's omnipotent, not even the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt at this time, could keep God from keeping his covenant promises to Abraham. And nothing is powerful enough to keep God from keeping his covenant, prom- his covenant promises with us today. I think about John, um, well, I think about Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us out of our Father's hand or pluck us out of our Father's hand, according to the Gospel of John. As the Israelites leave Egypt, Yahweh isn't finished displaying his power or his glory to either nation. God leads Moses and the Israelites to a seemingly dead end in the wilderness and hardens Pharaoh's heart to give pursuit. He rouses his army, and Pharaoh and his army give chase. When it seems like all hope is lost, God stands between the Israelites and Pharaoh and his army by the pillar of fire. God then instructs Moses to lift up his hand with a staff in it, and through a great wind, God separates the waters and dries off a a path for the Israelites to go through. The Israelites travel through the Red Sea, water on either side, on dry land. They get to the other side, and we see once again God harden the hearts of the Egyptian army, and they give chase. They travel the same path that the Israelites just traveled. But then God instructs Moses to lift up his hand again, and as he does, he causes the Egyptian wheels to twist and the waters to come back over and he drowns the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. God totally defeats Pharaoh, his army in the Egyptian pantheon of gods and goddesses. Through this narrative, Moses points out the totality of God's faithfulness to all of his promises made to Abraham and his descendants. 
The people's response to the Lord because of his power displayed through these circumstances is found in Exodus chapter 14, 29 through 31. But when the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground, the water stood up on walls like both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the body of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. We see after this great display of power that they respond in faith. Not only do they respond in faith, but they also respond in worship in Exodus chapter 15. But before we get to their response of worship, and then that probably connects to our life today, I can't help but remember several years ago when my kids played Monopoly for the first time. And they had that same idea that what if this Monopoly money was real? What if they could go shopping? at Walmart, at Target? What if they could use it on Amazon to buy real toys, just like they could buy properties on Monopoly? But what they thought and what they were hoping and what they were wishing for was just, it was useless. It was totally worthless. There's no merit in that. When I think about when we look at the Moses and the 10 plagues as God revealing himself to the Egyptians, he showcases his power over their gods. He shows them that the gods they worship are as useless as monopoly money at our local target. The Lord uses the plagues to reveal to us that he alone is worthy of our worship, that he alone is deliverer, that he alone can free us from the bondage of sin, that he alone can redeem. He is the only God who is powerful enough to redeem a people for himself and safely guide them home. I think Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 through 13, there there are a couple of verses that that I've been meaning to commit to memory because it's powerful when we look at it in the setting, the historical setting, that God is the only God powerful enough to free a people for himself from the most powerful nation and then safely guide them home to the new land that he had promised them. But for us today, For myself, for God, he's the only God powerful enough to free me, to rescue me from the bondage of my sin. And then from that, as his son, he is able to keep me and safely guide me to my eternal home. And so it's it's a couple of verses I haven't committed to memory yet, but through studying and reading here lately, those are some that I just, I really need to. Maybe that's something for you as well. But in Exodus chapter 15, the remainder part of it, or all of it, not just those three verses, but Exodus chapter 15, it's a song of deliverance that Moses and the people sang to the Lord after his mighty rescue of Israel through the Red Sea. But just two months later, and we're all prone to do this, just two months later, after leaving the land of Egypt, after seeing God display his power and his superiority over the gods and goddesses of Egypt through the plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea, we see the Israelites resort to the very thing that God demonstrated as useless. Idols. Many say it, these golden calves were very much a, an Egyptian deity. They turned back to something that was worthless. So it would be wise not to follow their example. And again, we're no different than they. We're sinful We've got that bent towards sin. 
So we got to humbly ask God to help us not give in to the same temptation. I'm going to close our session this time by reading Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. I think it's a great selection of verses that, after reading, we use it to pray back to God. And as we use these verses and pray them back to God, we can ask God to reveal any idols in our lives, give us the desire and the strength to rid our lives of those idols, and then finally, to keep our lives pure of idols. Psalm 24 Verse 1, David writes, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to Him. For He has laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Who may climb to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship you in your presence, O God of Jacob. I encourage you to set some time aside and just prayerfully meditate on these verses over the next week or so. Use them to inform your prayer, asking God to purify your heart of any idols, that we would seek Him and Him alone, and by doing so, enjoy the right relationship with Him. If you're looking for a song to kind of go along with these verses and even use as a prayer uh, to the Lord, I recommend Give Us Clean Hands by Chris Tomlin. It's got some age on it, but I still think it, it captures this whole idea beautifully, and you can use it as a prayer back to Him. Okay, again, thanks for listening and walking through the Scriptures with me. Until next time.